<laughs> laughing at your cheeseburger joke. Um, yep. Hey, guys. What's hey. up? Welcome to the 13th Floor Podcast. Um, we're almost in a new year, you guys. Are you excited? Very. Yeah. This is almost 2021. Well, enjoy your New Year's tomorrow then, people. Yeah, enjoy your New Year's. This is the thing, you guys. Um, we're recording from Bowling Green right now. So if our audio sounds a little bit odd, it's because we actually did not plan accordingly and forgot our microphone back at home. So, But we did grab something from the vase on the way out the door. Yes. So we so, won't be, you won't hear the cling of the vase today. Yeah, but we, we <laughs> did draw something from the vase. So you will get to hear one of our user submission topics that we're going to be talking about next week, but we'll get to that later. Um, How have you guys been? Doing well. Yeah. yeah. Whirlwind of emotion. <laughs> yeah. Bobbing and weaving the COVID lately. Everybody's yeah. It's been it. wild. Well, uh, well, what about you, James? Uh, Christmas was really weird because, one, COVID, and two, uh, AT&T was down. So it yeah. was it was a very weird, surreal Christmas. This, this New Year's, I swear to God, this is the only time I've ever heard of a New Year's where instead of people like just saying hello to the next year, I think it'll be like – almost like burning effigies of this year. <laughs> it's not about the future. It's about destroying the past. Yeah. yeah. This year has been, well, that's what on Christmas, cause we're only 40 miles outside of Nashville, yeah. which was what affected the whole AT&T thing. And yeah. we didn't get our phone and our kind of Wi-Fi back to regular For a couple usage of days. until like yesterday. Uh, so. Yeah, yeah, it, it's been wonky for me, and it's just it's such a weird thing. Like it was yeah. really weird because I remember when I was little, there was a time, the before time, when we didn't have <laughs> like the internet and cell phones everywhere. So you just kind of accepted like people would go on vacation, and it's just like, oh, I'm sure they're okay. But now, if you can't get in touch with somebody, it's just like immediately anxiety inducing, and I couldn't get in touch yes. with anybody on Christmas, well, yeah. and it was just weird. That's what I tried calling my dad and my brother and it just, I couldn't get a hold of them hardly at all. So yeah. anyways, I'm glad we're past that. Yeah, mm. a, that, that. That whole Nashville thing might be an episode in the future. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? We'll That's see. true. We'll see what happens. I don't, I'm, I, I'm still so we out of practice with this. A, know, we got to do, do an icebreaker. That's we got to do next. an icebreaker. You guys listen, I'm the end of the year is like, it's, it's getting to me. Okay, so I actually had an idea, and this was inspired by my dear friend, Amy, who works at a restaurant that is – oh, man, now I just want some some chicken. But anyways, they sell chicken, and she told me that they've been getting prank phone calls lately, and there was one that was really funny <laughs> and I, I, uh, I thought was very clever, even though I'm sure that it's annoying the heck out of her and her team, but – Anyways, they've been having this kid call them every Friday for the past several weeks. And he just calls and he asks them, he says, hey, um, I'd like to order some chicken wings. And they say, sir, we don't sell chicken wings here. We only sell chicken fingers. Huh. And, then, and then the kid goes, what? Chickens don't have fingers. And then he hangs up. Which I was like, <laughs> that is something so childish but also like there's something about it that just really <laughs> makes me laugh oh wow so, yeah that was kind of my inspiration for this week's joke and i was wondering what is the best 
stupid joke you guys know. Oh, man. Ooh. I'm so bad at stupid jokes. You, t- you tell them all the time, Alex. Yeah. I tell them all the time, but I, I don't remember them. I actually use this one as a little life hack um, because oh, yeah? if I'm talking to two people and I think they might be like in a relationship or married, but I don't know and I can't tell and I don't see any rings or anything like that, I will tell a really corny joke because uh-huh. if two people are are close, they will look at each other when they hear a, a corny joke to verify that like that wasn't funny, right? But we're still going to laugh. <laughs> um, it's actually interesting behavior. Like if if you watch like comedy shows, people are constantly looking at each other for validation, like whether they should laugh yeah. or not. And it's always whoever they're closest to in the room. So by a little corny joke, and you know this is not an original or anything, but it's. Uh, I used to be addicted to soap, but I'm clean now. <laughs> Alex and I didn't glance at one another. I don't know what that means about Uh-oh. your your, your theory. <laughs> no, that's a good joke. Mine and this always used to make me laugh when I was younger. It still makes me laugh. But uh, what did Winnie the Pooh Bear say to his television agent? Hmm. He said, Show me the honey. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. There's, uh, I don't know why that always gets me, but it does. Alex, what about you? Uh, you know, I'm so bad about remembering other people's jokes. I just make them up, and sometimes it turns out I've stolen them. But uh. the, the I remember one of the first corny jokes I ever heard, and I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, and I also laughed. What was that? The talking muffin joke. <laughs> the talking the muffin do- joke. You know the talking muffin joke? Everybody <laughs> knows this, this joke. Is. It's like the... Really? Oh. No, no idea. Oh, okay. I, I can't tell if James is being facetious. I am not so, being anyway. facetious. I'm being as sincere as can be. I have no idea what you're talking about. There's these two muffins, and they're sitting in the oven. And one of them turns to the other and goes, it's getting hot in here. And the other one turns and says, oh, my God, a talking muffin. <laughs> I've never heard that. I've heard of uh, variations, but I have never heard that in my life. No. That oh is, my god. Uh, that is. I don't remember you ever telling that to me. Yeah. I, I thought everybody. This is something I heard in third grade. I think so. Mm. I, I thought like this was like a something everybody had heard. No, third grade, I always associate with the "Here's the church, here's the steeple," and uh, the, the "Open the oh, diaper" yeah. joke with the the finger waggling and all that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, I swear. I remember that one, yeah. I um We didn't introduce ourselves. We didn't we didn't introduce <laughs> ourselves. Did <we? laughs> Listen, you guys, I'm CC. I'm, I'm James. Happy New Year. Yeah, we're gonna head into this new year. It's gonna be a new year, new us type of scenario. And we're not gonna forget to introduce ourselves next time, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, so, you guys, uh, <laughs> listeners, we're going to ask you on Instagram, what's the corniest joke that you know? If you guys send us some really good ones, we might actually mention them on the show this coming week. So, yeah. um, just a heads up, you guys, D- DM those to us on the 13th Floor Instagram at 13th Floor Podcast. I love a corny Me joke. Too. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, um, and also, if you have any topics you want to submit... We mentioned this before. We've got some very exciting news coming up in the new year. So I think that you guys will want to continue submitting topics because there are going to be some special things going on. So send your topics to us on our Instagram page, on our Facebook page. You can also email them to us at 13thfloorpodcast at gmail.com or feedthevase at 13thfloorpodcast.com. So we got all of that out of the way. 
James, you had something that you wanted to plug really quickly before we hop on into our topics, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, this topic that we're going to be talking about, we're going to be talking about Charles Manson, and that was submitted by my twin sister. So I thought this would probably be a good time to mention that uh, she is a singer, and she is available on most platforms, Pandora, YouTube, YouTube Music, Deezer, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, Spotify, etc. Really, just Google Mandy York, and that's probably what's going to come up. My particular favorite is BB's Riding Shotgun because it's about her dog, BB. And I might, <laughs> for our social media, post uh, pictures of me and the aforementioned BB. Yeah, <laughs> I want to see BB. Well, mm. James, your sister and Charles Manson have something in common. Sure <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, they, they, they both like to sing. Ooh. Uh, that's true. Yeah, he did like to sing. Mandy really likes Charles Manson, though. Like, I literally gave her last Christmas or the Christmas before a Charles Manson shirt, so... That should tell you something. She She's fascinated by him. I'm it, sure she doesn't it, agree with does, his methods. Does but. she have a passion for the White Album? She she actually has a dartboard with Sharon Tate's face on it. That, uh, no, I'm just oh kidding. Oh, my God, <laughs> 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 Wow. Oh, man, that was a dark joke. Yeah, we went from corny a, to dark. Oh, that man. was a very dark joke. Okay. Um, so I guess – I guess – is there anything else we need to mention before we hop on into our topics? No, I don't think so. I, I think I think that I'm just ready to hear, because this is the thing, you guys. James is like, and this topic almost made me a little bit nervous because James has such an extensive knowledge on this specific case. Mm. So it's like researching it. I'm like, oh, is James going to, like, is he going to hop in here and just say, oh, no, you got this wrong? Like, I don't uh, know why it makes me so nervous, well, but. Well, that was me. Like, I, I'm looking at stuff for the crimes of the Manson family. And I'm finding conflicting information on some of this stuff. And I'm like, oh, yeah. oh boy, James and Mandy are going to be writing in. I mean, James doesn't mm-hmm. have to write in, you know, we, we might talk a little bit at he'll, some point. He'll text you if he's upset with you. <laughs> he'll text you. So James, you're starting us off today. You're going to be talking about Charles Manson's life pre the family. Yeah. And it is a very sad backstory. Um, you know, I, I think when, when somebody's notorious like him, we kind of want his, uh, backstory to be just the, the height of privilege and, you know, a pampered existence. And then they just go bad. Um, but that's not the case at all. It's an extremely sad story. He was born, um, it, for, to a very young woman, 16 year old Kathleen Maddox in Cincinnati. And she was from Kentucky, and in fact, our uh, my, me and my twin's history teacher in high school um, met him at a family reunion when he was little. Oh. So, yeah, he's you know sort of part of Kentucky history in that regard. But he was born in Cincinnati, and in, in the Ohio portion. And isn't all of Cincinnati in the Ohio portion? Oh, I thought there was like a little chip that was Kentucky, technically. <laughs> And I thought that it was Newport. Newport. Oh, uh, you know what? Like- I think you're right. I'm I'm bad at geography anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, his he never met his dad. Um, we do know that his name was Colonel Walker Henderson Scott Senior, and that he was in the military and that he was stationed nearby. And he ran off. And when little Charlie was first born, they actually just called him No Name Maddox which is super sad, but then he got renamed oh, wow. Charles Mills Maddox. Uh, and of course he ended up changing his name due to reasons we'll, we'll touch up on later. 
So right off the bat, day one on Earth, he has got a rocky start. You know, he doesn't have a name. Uh, his dad's run off, etc. So she ends up with another fella named William Manson. Guess where he got his last name. And oh, okay. this guy was not a nice guy either. This guy was uh, an alcoholic. He would just vanish for days at a time. And again, this was before cell phones, touching back on what we previously talked about. Kathleen also was an alcoholic and would also go missing for days at a time. So he just sort of got left to his own devices. Or if he was lucky, somebody would babysit him. And I'm not talking about the babysitter's club either. It was she, He was just sort of left to whomever was available. So... A few years later, she gets a 10-year prison sentence for a robbery. This is in 39, and he goes to live with his aunt and uncle in West Virginia. This is also kind of sort of why he has that accent. You know, it's definitely not an Ohio accent, if you think about it. Yeah. Now, here's the thing about his uncle, though. His uncle was not a fan of people who are not white and put him up to setting his school on fire when he was like 10 years old. Oh. Yeah. So that's not great. And and the reason was there were there were non-white kids at said school presumably or they were talking about desegregation or whatever. Something was going on politically that uncle did not care for. So uh before that even, he actually ran away multiple times. He would steal from stores to just stay fed. I mean, just a really awful existence. We're talking about a little kid who was totally neglected, who is committing crimes in order to survive, just to just to feed himself. So eventually a judge with some decency, instead of throwing the book at him, sends him to a school in Omaha that, yeah, the Omaha, uh, <laughs> there's no other one. I, I don't think it's the one in Nebraska, uh, to this, this delinquent school. However, he was only there for four days because him and another kid stole a car and drove all the way to flipping Illinois. So wow. yeah, once they were there, they started doing some robberies and the cops caught him and they sent him to an Indiana school for delinquents. This is where things get even darker because, well, he is there. He is bullied relentlessly and even raped. So he tries to get out multiple times for obvious reasons, and he finally does. And guess what he does the minute he gets out? More thievery and and stealing and whatnot. More crimes, in other words. So it's all he really knew. It's all exactly. It's all he really knew. And, and if you really think about it, and he he touches on this later, and we might talk about this later. Uh, you know, he only ever really felt safer at home in jail. Like he was in jail from the time he yep. was really little, and so for him it was like comfort place. Yeah, he he only spent thirteen years of his life not in jail, right? Or in some sort of like children center. Yeah. yeah. So he gets arrested multiple more times. Then he gets sent to another delinquent school, this time in D.C. They decided that he's got some problems. They they say that he's aggressively antisocial. This is not a great uh, mental state, etc. But still, even with that, he's going to be paroled. Before he's paroled, he rapes another boy at knife point. So he does not get paroled. Obviously, instead, he gets transferred to a federal reformatory in Virginia. So he's just bouncing all over the flipping place. 
uh, he does a lot more rapes while he's in uh, Petersburg, Virginia. And then he gets sent to a maximum security facility. We're coming full circle. Now he's back in Ohio. When he turns 20, he's released back to his aunt and uncle. As you can imagine, that wasn't where he wanted to end up being. So just a, a year later, he ends up marrying a waitress. Uh, and for a very, 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 very short period, He's working a job, like a regular job, and things seem okay. And then the waitress, Rosalie, gets pregnant, and he convinces her, hey, let's let's go to L.A. Only problem is they don't have a car. Well, how, how are Charlie and Rosalie going to get to L.A.? How do you think they got to L.A.? Was it hitchhiking? hitchhiking? No, they stole a car. <laughs> are you oh. serious? Yeah, they stole a flipping car. So they got caught. He gets sent uh, to San Pedro, California, which is kind of hilarious when you think about it. That's what he was trying to go for was California, and he gets sent to California. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, while he's in prison in California, though, his wife meets another guy, decides that she's going to divorce him. He does not like this one bit. His parole's coming up, but instead he tries to escape to find her. Doesn't get paroled for obviously reasons. Yeah. So eventually he does get out of prison though, just like normally normal release. But then he starts becoming, he becomes a literal pimp, a literal pimp. And he also starts forging treasury checks. <laughs> he gets caught for a $43 treasury check forgery, gets arrested again and gets a 10 year suspended sentence in probation. Then he moves in with one of the women that he was pimping out to New Mexico for reasons that I have no real basic knowledge of why. And then he gets charged in Texas for violating his probation. And then he gets sent back to Los Angeles to serve that 10-year sentence, which gets suspended because apparently he didn't violate his probation. And finally, finally, 61, he gets transferred to L.A. County Jail to the penitentiary at McNeil Island in Washington. And that's sort of the end of his early, early life. Uh, I think that, uh, incidentally, Alex, are you going to be talking about the Beach Boys or should I start talking about the Beach Boys? You can go ahead and talk a little bit about them because I'm going to cover kind of the crimes. But okay. I know what you're going to talk about because that, that whole stuff with um, Melcher and them, it ties into what I'm going to be talking about. Okay, good deal. Well, a little backstory on this. Uh, when Charlie went to prison, he learned how to play guitar, and he found that he really had a flair for music. And I I know that you know taste in art is subjective, but I have to confess, I actually really like his music. Uh, especially, he's got one called Look at Your Game, Girl, and it is a beautiful song that I really like listening to. So... When he the one of the big reasons why he wanted to go to L.A. was because he wanted to get into the music industry. He wanted to be a singer and a songwriter, and he was a singer and a songwriter. And he was a damn good singer and a songwriter. And he ends up meeting Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys, and he introduces him to Terry Melcher, a producer. Mm -hmm. And in '68, the Beach Boys recorded "Cease to Exist." one of Manson's songs, but they retitled it Never Learn Not to Love as a B-side, and they didn't credit Manson. So here's somebody who has a pretty uh, severe history of antisocial behavior, 
whose only dream is to become a singer-songwriter, and he meets the big boys. I mean, he meets the A-list music scene folks, and they screw him over. Yeah. And that really, I think, sets the tone for Alex. It does. <laughs> it does, because a lot of those events are what leads to him going the route that he does. If he became a successful artist, he still probably would have lost it at some point. Uh, mm. This is clearly a guy who's unhinged. Yeah. But maybe not this quickly. <laughs> yeah, and not as dramatically. And yeah. not as dramatically, because... The way that Melcher seems like he kind of played him uh, a little bit, like he could have been either overly optimistic or he could have been just telling Manson what he wanted to hear for the sake of uh, appeasing him. Because there were moments where he would even go to, I mean, he was involved with some of the recording sessions, but he even went to the Spawn Ranch and took, a bunch of the stuff to record him and part of the family. But hmm? when he got there, he never actually recorded them. And so mm. there's a lot of these weird treatments to them that we see Melcher do. And it really leads, you know, we'll, I'll, I'll tell you all about it here in a minute, but it really leads to why I think he attacks certain locations. But mm. I, I want to talk about the first event that happened with the Manson family. And that was, uh, the crow shooting. And essentially what happened was <laughs> Manson had told one of his underlings that they needed some money because they were kind of in dire straits. All the, all these bad things have been happening with Melcher and Dennis Wilson. And so he's, he's kind of losing it. So mm-hmm. he tells one of his underlings to go out and get some money because they really need it. So his uh, man, Watson. That's one of, because he his group was called the family, right? How did he collect his family members? Uh, a, a big chunk of his appeal. Uh, Charles Manson was definitely a, despite being very antisocial, he was actually a very socially gifted person. He was very good at, at articulating his point of view. He had a beautiful songwriting capacity. And so he would find people who were sort of also alienated by society and who, who just wanted to fill sort of a hole in their life. And he was just really good at telling them what they wanted to hear and making them feel like they were part of something bigger than themselves. And that's where the name, I mean, that's really what they were. They were a family of people who didn't have family, you know, I mean the, the actual basis for forging this group is actually a very beautiful thing in, in and of itself. (laughs) <laughs> um, the downside is that he he began using really, really hard drugs uh, in tandem with, with giving them hard drugs and convincing them that he was Jesus and that he was a Braxis. And there's was, there was a lot of occultism to it. He really modeled the family a lot after Aleister Crowley's little social club in the early 20th century, the one that Barbara Bush's mom was part of. And why well, I think that Barbara <laughs> Bush's mom yeah. was pregnant with Alistair Crowley's kid. <laughs> well, we we've talked about this, but that was really how he recruited people was, was just through his natural charm and just his capacity to see through people and see um, the, the people who were abandoned like he was. What you're telling me, Alex, is that one of his family members, what's Watson? What did he have Watson do? The purpose was he wanted Watson to obtain money so they could prepare the family for the oncoming conflict. And the oncoming conflict was, 
what he perceived to be a mm. giant racial conflict between black people and white people where they take out the rich especially and their whole thing was they were to go hide out in a cave and after mm. everybody killed each other they're gonna rise and rule their area it's insane helter skelter yeah, yeah. It, it basically he took the song "Helter Skelter" by the Beatles, and he took Revelation from the Bible, and he fused them into this really bizarre, like the four uh, locusts with the scorpion tails. They were the Beatles, and the 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 stinging venom that was coming out of them was their electric guitars. Yeah, he, he had this complete obsession with the Beatles, yeah. and he even named one of his yeah. uh, hideouts the Yellow Submarine. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. So. But he had Watson go out and get some money. And what it, Watson ends up doing is he ends up defrauding this drug dealer named Bernard, nicknamed Lots of Papa Crow. Mm-hmm. So defrauding is stealing money. And Crow responded by telling, by calling. And it turns out Watson's first name is not what a lot of people thought it was. A lot of people thought. <laughs> Watson went by another name. His Christian name was Charlie. Charlie. But there can't be two Charlies. But guess what? (laughs) Bernard knew his Christian name. And when he called to get a hold of him, he ended up threatening Charles Manson and not Charlie. Oh, so he thought he was calling to threaten Watson, but he actually. Yep. He called and he threatened Charles Manson. So Charles lost it (laughs) and actually he didn't lose it yet. So lots of Papa, he goes up to Charles and Charles just shoots him. He shoots him right there on the spot. Now the interesting thing is, is later on the news, Charles Manson sees that they found a black Panther body in the water, a member of the black Panthers in the Mm. water. Mm. Absolutely terrified him scared he fortified the spawn farm because he was ready to just be wiped out by the black panthers mm-hmm. right the weird thing is is he jumped con- to conclusions uh crow never died he went to the hospital for two weeks <laughs> but he never died from his <laughs> gunshot wound crow wow. was never a member of the black panthers so all of these things he had just jumped to conclusions about well, i feel like drugs will will make you do that yeah you know. Yeah, and to be fair, if if you shoot a black drug dealer, and then later the news reports finding a Black Panther's body in a body of water, it's not a crazy jump, but it's it's definitely he should have he should have some done some uh, fact checking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I keep saying Watson, it's Tex Watson, so everyone calls him Tex. Okay. If anyone's yeah. listening, that that's Tex Watson, whose real name is yeah. Charles. Charles. <laughs> Who would have thought? Hmm. Yeah, so the next thing that happened, and this really was the cascading effect, as far as I can tell, for what happens going on, is the Hinman murder. So they murdered this guy named Gary Allen Hinman, who was this music teacher at UCLA. And they actually even were even had a friendly relationship with him. Uh, several of the members did, at least. Now, things didn't get quite so friendly when... Old Charlie thought that Hinman was worth some money. For some reason, mm. <laughs> Mr. Manson thought that he had some considerable stocks and bonds and he owned like this big property. 
Now, seeing that he was wealthy, he was like, well, I could use that money for my doomsday scenario. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so he sends over with himself, Bobby Buscelli, Mary Brunner, and Susan Atkins over to his house. And then what transpires is only what I can see as the inspiration for Quentin Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs ear scene. <laughs> they tie they tie him yeah. up for two days, and eventually Charles Manson walks in and cuts his ear off with a sword. Oh my god! A sword with a sword, and then Buscelli proceeds to go ahead and kill him. Apparently Lord. at Manson's instruction, and so turns out that. He was completely wrong on this. And on the way out, they took Hinman's blood and wrote Political Piggy, something that they you'll see them do going forward. And Mm -hmm. they drew the Black Panther symbol in blood. I figured the reason they would do that is to try and make police think that it was That's what I was thinking. And it's also a way to possibly worsen relationships between them. You guys nailed it. That's exactly why it's 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 a red herring, and it helps make Helter Skelter more likely. Mm, yeah, and then we get the famous Tate murder, mm-hmm. which a lot of us know how that goes down. I'm not going to go into description of what happened. Uh, I will say that Susan it's Atkins, bad. Patricia Krenwinkel, and Tex Watson were really the perpetrators of it. Yeah. The reason they choose this location, though, I thought was interesting, is this used to be Melcher's home. I think he originally chose this location because of that, because he walked onto the property at one point, probably surveying it, and he saw Hmm. Sharon Tate and everybody else there. Hmm. And then he went away, and he came back days later. And so a lot of people, and I think they've even corroborated this, is that a lot of the locations they pick are all locations that they have been to before, so they know the layout of the houses when they go in. Hmm. Oh, he knew Melcher's home. Sense. So when they attacked it, they already knew everything about it. And one of the people involved in the Tate murder and the big whistleblower, Cassabian, she yeah, she was the one that she just kind of sat at the doorway or at the front gate. And she was one of his family members, too. Yeah, but and she actually foils a murder later on to mm. keep them from committing a a murder uh, right after the La Bianca murders. So after the Tate murders, which I, I really probably shouldn't get too much into, or the La Bianca murders because yeah. those are even more. I will say one thing about the Tate murders though is just imagine that happening today. Imagine some L.A. cult killing an A-list actress who's married to an A-list producer. Uh, I mean, that's our director, rather. Blah. I mean, just imagine that. Imagine that happening today. Like, just think of the fallout that would have transpired if that had happened today. It's just yeah. mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing that it happened at all. Yeah. It is mind-blowing because, I mean, they kill, what, five people? Mm-hmm. And it's uh, six people. Six people if you include the baby, people, yeah. the unborn baby. Yep. And so the next day they go over to they do they commit the La Bianca murders, which are equally horrifying. Uh, it's two people, but the reason they they picked this location is because they intended the party next door uh, the year before, and they had actually been over near that house, and they even scouted 
that night, right before the murder, Charles Manson himself goes up and looks in there before he starts calling people up. Hmm. So they uh, they pick all these areas that they're pretty familiar with and then do their thing. Now, the interesting thing is the Casa Bian, who was at the at the Tate murders, but actually didn't participate in any of the killings. She is involved after the La Bianca murders, where Manson sends a group of people to go and take one of her friends, uh, one of her associates out. And so when they're going there, they're actually at the apartment complex to go kill this person. And she knocks on the wrong door on purpose to get people to come out. And so they have to flee and run away before anyone else gets killed. Hmm. And it turns out that she is the one that flips on the entire family. Didn't and she get immunity in court? She did. Yeah. And the entire family flipped on her trying to pin. They pretty much, the whole family tried to act like she was Charles Manson. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> and she and, and nobody was like, no, no, your story's match <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Dang. It it just shows the darkness uh that people can can fall to. Like just the behavior of these people is really just remarkable. I mean, again, we're not gonna go into gross detail, but I mean some of the things they did horrifying. Um just horrifying. Yeah. Like for people to have never done this and then to go to the lengths that they do. Exactly. It's, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's like flipping Lord of the Flies or something, except it's not on an island. One of, one of the interesting things that I saw in terms of like an analysis of this happening is that, was that this marked the end of the free love movement because it proved that love wasn't free, essentially. And that there was no <laughs> there was no cost for the free the free love movement and this was like the ultimate cost. So I was like, interesting. Mm. Well, I guess it's, it's my turn now. Yeah, you break it down. All right. Just one really quick thing about the arrest that I just find fascinating. Uh, two things, actually. One, they weren't arrested for any of these murders. They were actually arrested uh, originally because they were looking <laughs> in Death Valley, which is a park, which is where they set up their little you know get-together place. Uh, they were arrested because they were vandalizing the park because they were looking for the bottomless pit mentioned in revelation in death Valley. Oh my gosh. So that's, that's the first thing. Wow. And they had the, again, the cops had no idea what really ended up happening was the family while they were under, you know, arrest for that started talking to other inmates and boasting about some of these events. So that's what got people interested in this it wasn't that they didn't just like get pulled over or anything on suspicion of that they got pulled over for something totally different wow that is bizarre weird stuff was if anyone wants to do further reading the way that they get the spawn farm and all that stuff is kind of wild the way they get all these locations is pretty much through sex and it, it or the spawn ranch sorry what? And yeah. yeah, the way they, they get all their bases or places that they live together, uh-huh. they pretty much just use sex to do everything. I mean, even uh, even Dennis Wilson claims that he spent about $100,000 uh, treating gonorrhea. Good Lord. <laughs> In his house. because yeah, that, all That's the, the real cost of the free love movement right there. <laughs> well, Alex is going to take a drink really quickly because he's got – some throat issues going on. Oh, I've got a sinus infection. It's just making it really hard. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Phew. All right. So 
I'm talking about Charles Manson when it came to court jail and then his eventual death. So Hmm. the official charges that really kind of got him convicted after a fairly speedy and rather bizarre trial, um, which started Hmm. on July 24th, 1970, he testified himself, which isn't entirely normal for a defendant to do so. But yeah, when he testified, he said at one point, quote, the children that come at you with knives are your children. You taught them. I didn't teach them. I just tried to help them stand up. (laughs) So I think that that's a pretty good insight as to what he was trying to accomplish with the family. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, completely bonkers. But he really pissed people off in court. (laughs) Um, He made people pretty upset. He, He would pull all these wild stunts and shenanigans in the courtroom to basically just get attention because he wanted to be a musician. He wanted to be famous. He wanted the attention to be on him. Obviously he was very charming. He knew how to draw people in. So he would do these crazy things to get more press. Um, Like at one point he apparently pretended to be Jesus crucified on a cross. (laughs) He stood up in the middle of the court and he held his arms out and he hung his head low. And then they kept saying, Charlie, sit down, sit down. He wouldn't do it. So they eventually had to drag him out of court that day. Um, Oh my God. Yeah. And then I also read this, that one of his defense attorneys, a guy named Ronald Hughes, in the middle of the trial, he just straight up vanished. Really? So they think that maybe some of the family members killed him. I don't know if that's true, but I read it somewhere. Um, Anyways, uh, Manson was convicted of first-degree murder for the Tate-LaBianca murders on January 25th, 1971. So about six months after the trial began. And the judge... He was like, I sentence you to death. So Manson's put on death row, and so are all of his little family members who were convicted alongside him. And then the California <laughs> Supreme Court is like, you know what? We we deem the death penalty unconstitutional, so automatically their sentences are reduced to just life in prison. So, mm. yeah. What a life he led behind bars, you guys. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I read a really great article by the Los Angeles Times about how many issues Manson caused when he was in jail. And he was, he was a real piece of work, you guys, um, <laughs> which I feel like we all basically already knew. But he, he still tried to wreak as much havoc as possible while in the clink. According to that article that I read, during his almost 50 years in prison after the murders, he was written up for breaking prison rules over 100 times. And I think that <laughs> 60 of those times were within like a four to five year time span. Oh, really? Yeah. So, so he really slowed down. After he's, a while. Yeah. He, he, well, I think that I bet you anything. This is what I, I imagine. And I don't know if this is true, but I think that in his brain, he thought, oh, I can get paroled eventually. And so he kind of acted good. And then it's like, oh, I'm never getting out of here. All of my paroles are denied. So I might as well just mm. go crazy. Well, his, or. He was going crazy because he thought he was on death row, and then they reversed it. And he was like, oh, maybe I can get maybe out of I here. Maybe I can go crazy. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm? But according to the article I read, he was written up all those times. He would do things like spit on guards, which doesn't seem entirely out of character for him, to be honest. At one point, he apparently tried to start a flood in, his, in the prison. <laughs> he lit his bed on fire, and he, he would have things smuggled into jail for him, including cell phones. Apparently, he had three cell phones on him at different times, and he would use them to text people all across the country. Like, he was having text conversations with people. Can you imagine? Imagine getting a text from Charles Manson. Yeah, can you imagine getting a text from Charles Manson? Um, And he also, at one point, smuggled on a hacksaw. 
blade. Uh, and I, at first, I was like, I wonder, how does anybody smuggle a hacksaw into prison? James, oh, you might already... Bake it in a cake. Yeah, well, that's exactly... <laughs> I was like, you know, if yeah, if somebody brings a, a cake for Charles Manson, you're probably going to pick that thing apart or look in any mm. books that people bring. Alex, how do you think he smuggled it in? Uh, in a book or something weird like that. James, do you have any ideas? Um, I'm going to assume, because it's the only thing I can think of, was it rectally? No, actually, it was not. Oh. He did it in the sole of his shoe. Oh. So, yeah, he yeah. got a little creative there. But those those are just some of the things that he was found to have on his person throughout his time in jail. There were some other things, uh, including but not limited to tons of drugs of course. like LSD and marijuana. At one point, he had nylon rope, which seems very dangerous. Cell phones, obviously. And then he also at one point had a catalog for how to order a hot air balloon. So police thought that at one point he may have been trying to plan an escape, which it's the slowest, oh my God, slowest I love the ever. idea. Yeah. Well, can, I love the idea of him with a hot air balloon and like those little aviator goggles. Yeah. Can you, can you imagine? I'm sorry. It takes at least, and I looked this up because I was like, how long would it take him for actual, to actually accomplish that? If he had somehow smuggled a hot air balloon into the jail um, but it takes 15 minutes to set up a hot air balloon. So it's like, where is he going to do that? Is he going to do it in the prison yard? Like, I like this movie that I've got playing in my head. Yeah, it's like Wacky Races, but with Charles Manson. Yeah. yeah, well, see, again, he's crazy, but you can't say he wasn't creative. So when he was in prison, Charles initially tried to get protection from a gang called the Aryan Brotherhood, which I'd never heard of them before, but they're bad news bears. Oh, really? Yeah, I've never heard of them. I don't really... Look into gangs or too watch often. fiction. Bleh. But they they initially wanted nothing to do with Manson because he ordered the deaths of women, especially a very pregnant Sharon Tate. Um, but mm. according to a forum that I read on Quora, he was later allowed to join the gang because he was getting LSD and other valuable items brought into jail. And they're like, hey, maybe we could have some of that. So he did mm. eventually join them. There were also rumors that he was a sex slave to somebody. Hmm. eventually he was kicked out. Um, and I know he spent a large amount of his time in prison in isolation. So maybe it's just like, he didn't have very much interaction with them. So they're like, you're out. I don't know. But he, um, and again, he pissed people off. And I think that, I don't know if this person who did this thing that I'm about to talk about was a part of this gang, but he pissed people off at one point. He told another inmate that he didn't like that. His, uh, he was, this other inmate was doing Hare Krishna chants. And Manson was like, hey, shut up. I don't like that. And so then that mm. that inmate squirted Manson with some lighter fluid and lit him on fire. Oh. And so 20% of Manson's body, especially his face and his scalp, had second and third degree burns on it. But he pulled through, obviously. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so – I guess. What a, yeah. Man, what a crazy place prison must be. <laughs> what a crazy you know, place. Hare Krishnas aren't even supposed to eat meat, but apparently you can set people on fire. Yeah, I mean, he was like, listen, don't tell me what to do. I didn't do it. The fire did. Yeah, and that, well, then he, <laughs> apparently he, because everyone was like, how could he do that? Like in jail, how can you set somebody else on fire if you're, how do you get those things? But you could squirt it between the jail cell bars. Well, yeah, I figured that, but how do you get it lit? That oh, must have been a really well-thrown match. You, I feel like ma- matches are tiny enough to, like, hide. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, but when you toss them, they, yeah. they, like, go out. But I guess... I don't know. I don't know. Uh. So another special life event for Manson while he was behind bars. You guys, he found love. Oh, yeah. Kind of. 
Yeah, as a 26-year-old devotee named Afton Elaine Burton, a.k.a. Star Burton. And she supposedly fell in love with him, um, maybe, and they got a marriage license, but it expired before they could make things official. So they never actually got married. Um, and I read mm. some places that it might have also been because prison guards like to make things difficult for Manson because he was not, like, very kind to anybody. Maybe because he kept spitting on them. He kept spitting on them and just being, you know, crazy. Yeah. Like anytime he makes sculptures, they would take them from him. Yep. Well, wait until you hear what else he did, James. It's, uh, he's hmm. he had some some creative projects that he creative <laughs> endeavors in jail is what I'll call them. So, hmm. anyways, uh, their their little marriage license expired, um, but Burton had actually been visiting him in jail for years when they got the license, and she was actually communicating with him at some degree when she was just seventeen years old, which is just bizarre. Huh. Um, but according to all that's interesting.com, which is where I got all of my information on this specific, uh, part, the Burton part, uh, it was later revealed that she primarily wanted to marry Manson because she wanted to preserve his body after he died and charge people to view it. Entrepreneur. So, yeah. That's what, that's what wow. it said on the article at least. And Manson supposedly Man. found out about it because apparently it said that Burton kept pressing him to like sign over like, Hey, when you die, oh, she, Oof. she, well, then that's like, you know, he said, no, you can't, I'm not going to sign my body over to you. And then, uh, right. if, if they're married, then mm. she would actually be first in line to be able to take it. So anyways, weird. Yeah. Weird to think about. It's possible that Manson just strung her along because she did bring him lots of really great things in, in jail, apparently like fancy gifts and toiletries. So, yeah, well, you know, that that sums up every relationship he's ever been in. It's it's mutual manipulation. Yeah. What can I get from you? And vice versa. Yeah. And vice versa. And he also he also thought that he would never die. Like that was just he didn't think he was going to die. It was it wasn't going to happen. So I think Mm -hmm. in his brain, it was also like, how are you going to put my body on display if I never die? So he did die, though, you guys. on (laughs) November 19th, 2017 at 83 years old. And most websites just stated that he died of natural causes. But Wikipedia, I had to find this on Wikipedia. They said that he died from, quote, cardiac arrest from respiratory failure and colon cancer. His body obviously did not go to Burton, but instead to Manson's grandson, Jason Freeman, who had him cremated in March of 2018. So uh, of his prison stay, that one article from the Los Angeles Times quoted one of the spokeswomen for the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. Her name was Terry Thornton, and of Manson, she had this to say, quote, suffice it to say that he cannot be described as a model prisoner, end quote. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, throughout his life in prison, he went up for parole 12 times and was obviously denied each time. And to be honest, I don't think he ever really wanted to get out because James, as you mentioned, he kind of found comfort when he was behind bars. And so I think I think that after a while, it was just like, oh, this is, you know, this is where I'm supposed to be. And according to to prison officials, the things that he enjoyed most doing during his later years in prison uh, was staying in his cell and making little voodoo dolls, little dolls that he would then prick with like needles and objects to see if he could. Ugh. Yeah, so he was into some peculiar occult stuff. Like I said, like he he would refer to himself as a Braxis, and a Braxis is a fascinating um, occult figure, sort of sort of like a demon. I mean, man, it's really hard to explain. 
Um, I don't even know, James. It's it's the greatest of archons in Gnosticism, but it's also a demon and arguably an angel. And that's that's why he would call himself a Braxis. It's literally like he's basically saying he was God and the devil. Good uh, Lord. That's scary. I don't like that. Well, <laughs> that's really all that I have on uh, Manson's life in jail and, and death. James, did you have anything else that you wanted to add since you're kind of like our expert on this topic? Just one minor thing. And, you know, I'm not saying this to get any kind of flack or anything, but it does genuinely bother me that he was charged with seven counts of murder. Not, not because I think, you know, what a great guy he should, they should have left him alone or anything like that. It's just because he didn't physically take part in any of it i think that conspiracy is all they should have been able to nail him with and it 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 genuinely bothers me not not because of his particular case but just because the way the justice system works you really shouldn't set any kind of precedent like that because then it becomes an instance where you could be charged with murder despite not actively taking part in murder but quote unquote manipulating other people to act on your behalf. Well, again, that's conspiracy. That's not the same thing. Uh, being accused of hiring a hitman is not the same thing as being accused of stabbing someone. Uh, and this this really turned that particular crime into one and the same. And uh, that's just my opinion on that. End of, end of little soapbox. Yeah, no, it's a it's a legal uh, slippery slope in terms of for other yeah, cases. Exactly. That's a great way of putting it. Agreed. So you guys, that's that's Charles Manson. I, Mandy, I hope that we did your topic justice. Yeah, I hope you didn't mind me calling him Watson for a while and not text. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, we're we're since Alex and I were not prepared for traveling to Bowling Green unexpectedly, we did not bring the vase with us, but we did draw from the vase before we left so that we had our topic on hand. And I'm going to read to you. Let me pull it up really quickly. Um, the topic, but we are actually going to be talking about tropical cryptids. Yeah, and yes. that is from Henry the Host. From it came from a monster movie podcast, and so nice. Yeah, What's up, Henry. He sent us three cryptids. You'll have to listen to find out which three we're going to be talking about next week. Um, but they are going to be from tropical paradise. Mm-hmm. Yes. Awesome. Was there an, wasn't there another shout out you wanted to? Yeah, do, there Cece? is another shout out that I want to do. We actually had a listener. Um, and I meant to do this earlier, but we had another listener who is a loyal listener and he actually reached out to us, James, because if you'll remember in a past episode, we mentioned that we wondered what the fear of pirates was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. And Eric B mm. from Brockway, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for reaching out to us on our Instagram page, but he actually let me know what it's called and it's the lasso harpexophobia. Alex, how do you say that? Oh my too. God. Uh, I, I'm trying to read it before I start pronouncing it. It's so long. Thalassoharpoxophobia. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what it's called. And thalasso is Whoa. sea or ocean, and right. harpaxo is robber. So <laughs> right. sea robbers. <laughs> I like it. That is really cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, so thank you, Eric. <laughs> if, if you have any topics, definitely send them my way. But thank you for listening. And we also... Since we're at the end of the year, we also want to give a great shout out to everybody around the globe that's been listening. I'm not going to pull up our map right now, but I am going to list our top listened countries of the year, you guys. Do you want to know who listened Ooh. to us the most? Yeah. It's yeah. not the three three top countries aren't really all that surprising, but it was the United States of America, 
Australia, uh-huh. really. And it, that okay. like they really picked up. You guys have been amazing. The second half of the year, it was just like all of a sudden Australia was like, boom. Like, yeah. yeah. Australia's been great. They also like, there's a lot I like. Just email and Facebook back yeah. and forth with the with the Aussies. Yeah, so thank you guys for listening. And then also the United Kingdom, your numbers have been off the charts. Oh, yes. neat! And then I didn't know that. Yeah, United Kingdom is growing like crazy. And then our top listened state of the year was actually California, which kind of surprised me. Oh, so yeah, wow. California really raking in the listens. So you guys, thank you so so much for listening. As we mentioned earlier, we do have some very exciting news that's going to be coming out um, within the next two weeks or so uh, about some mm. things that are going to be coming out from the 13th Floor Podcast. We can't wait to share with you. Yeah. So, you guys, that that's really it for this episode. Do you guys want to say anything, uh, any well wishes into the new year for all of our wonderful 13th Floorers? Keep your resolutions. <laughs> Keep your resolutions. Um, yeah. Keep your resolutions. Um, I, you know, I was told that instead of calling them resolutions, you should call them intentions because resolutions people tend to, for some reason, tend to falter on. But when you say intention, I intend to do this. If you don't actually do it, you don't feel quite as guilty as if you're like, oh, I'm going to the gym every day. Yeah, I think we should bring back the Yule Oaths. See, the the origin of of, uh, New Year's resolutions is that Yule, you'd put your hand on the the board that they'd roasted at Yule. And you'd make a, a swear. You'd say, I'm going to do this by, by the next year. And if you didn't, the community could kill you. Yeah, no. I. You know Ooh. what, James? I'm going to let Ooh. you do that if you want. Yeah, but I, I'm going to opt just, out. Uh, it, I'm going to have my attention. It makes that losing 15 pounds and playing the violin a lot more serious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I just recommend using systems over goals, hmm. which is what I've started doing actually last week. And it's been much nicer. Like, I'm not, I started reading actually finally again, and I'm reading 10 pages a night. And it doesn't sound nice. like much, but over the course of a year, that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. So I guess my my one thing would just be don't put too much pressure on yourself. This year has been hard enough. Um, and that's something that I kind of tried to take in for 2020 was just like, if things don't work out the way that you want them to work out, which often happens, like, I feel like it's happened for a lot of us this year don't put so much pressure on yourself because really like it's going to be okay. So anyways, yeah. I guess uh, with that, that's, that's our last episode of the year, you guys. So wow. I guess until next year, no, until <laughs> next time, you guys, we hope that you can keep, keep it straight. straight.